0: You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast. Interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Michelle, welcome back to Real Faith Stories. Really good to have you back on the program again.
1: Yes, I'm excited. Thank you for having me.
0: I really felt a nudge to invite you back because I feel like there's some very specific things that you are working through with the folks that you train in dance Uh Uh as well as those that you coach. Before we go there, I would love for you to share some of your backstory, which is mind-blowing to me, where you came from, how you came to the Lord, and then this invitation to move from Florida to Texas and start this dance studio. Twenty plus years now into this, what God has done?
1: Yeah, well, it's a it's a big one. I think our testimonies, you know, it's just so interesting being on the other side, but we think we're on the other side sometimes, and we're like, oh, we we are we're still unfolding a part of our testimony. But yes, I I was an only child in uh, Florida, and my mom and dad. Amazing parents, and I always want to honor them in everything I say and do. And I've always asked permission to share my testimony. My mom has been so supportive of it. But you know, my mom and dad—they met through my dad owned a business, and uh, my mom was working for him. He was—he was married at the time with two daughters, and she was a secretary. And as sometimes the story goes, he left his wife for my mom, and they got married, and they had me. And my dad and mom were. Thirty-eight years apart. Whoa. Which is a big number. And you know, when I was born, you know, they never told me that. They basically every time my dad would have a birthday, they would lie about his age. And so I didn't really know anything about his age till I was fourteen years old on a plane to Australia. And I was so bored because the flight was so long. And my dad fell asleep beside me. And so I pulled his wallet out of his pocket <laughs> to read all of his credit cards and his driver's license. Cause I literally was so bored. And I remember up in the air in the middle of the ocean, I looked at his driver's license and had to jot, you know, and add it up and was like, oh my gosh, my dad is, you know, he was at that time, I think in his seventies and that the whole thing had been a lie. And so I remember waking them up on the plane and we had to discuss everything and it was really painful. And that still unfolded of all the lies of everything that I had known. But, you know, my dad was, he was serving in World War II. And so he came back with a lot of trauma. You no know, one knew what was going on back then, but we have names for things now. And so my dad was really struggling, I think, with PTSD and a lot of anger issues and control. And after he divorced his wife, she died very shortly after. So I think there's a lot of where he blamed himself and my mom that they killed her. He would literally scream that through the house that that is their fault that she died. And there was just so much angst and anger and He would tell me his stories all the time of the war. And I was very, very young. And he would tell me these crazy stories, just too much information, too much gore at eight years old. And, you know, they were in church at the time. They were serving. He was an elder in the church. And he would take me to Bob Evans. And he would sit me down with these really old school pictures, very black and white, but very graphic. And he would lay pictures in front of me of he was a part of the cleanup. He was a part of removing people from incinerators. He was a part of cleaning up the camps. Mm. And he had pictures of it. And he would sit, he would put it in front of me because he was a very, it's we're at the end of time. We are end time people. And he would say, this is what's going to happen to you. And so you don't want to get married or have kids because this is what's going to look like. And he would condition me into thinking, we are going to be living through these times. And he would show me pictures of totally naked people in piles. And you know how the story goes. We've seen the pictures, but I would see them firsthand from someone that was there. Mm. And that's how I grew up with fear, you know, Jesus is coming back, reading me Revelation at night. You know, when you're a child, that's a lot to take in. And not only that, because he was walking in so much anger and so much pain, he would beat my mom. He would throw her under the shower. I'd have to run in. You I was an only child, so I had to learn to get in the middle of them. I had to learn to fight to keep this thing where he wasn't going to, I thought, kill her. Or I'd run in rooms and jump in showers with them as they were beating each other up. I mean, another traumatizing visual. And to wake up my mom in the morning, my dad would get up and he would get a bucket of ice and pour it on her head. And oh. so I learned very early on to lay on top of her. So he wouldn't do that. So there's too many stories to tell, but you, know, you grow up in environments like that. And as a child, you, know, you can be in church, but no one was operating in the, the truth of the matter. And that was something you would hide back then. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you would go to church and put on the face and my mom was in the choir and I would sit there with them, but we would have this traumatic life. Behind the scenes, also preparing for the end of the world. So I would just start having really awkward fears. So we would be out to eat and I would literally just stare at the door as I ate because I thought someone was going to come in and blow up the restaurant. You have these phobias and fears because the enemy just uses that as a playing ground and no one really knew how to deal with me. I didn't watch fireworks till I was 24 years old because the sounds I would have to go in rooms and wear earphones. You have these awkward things happening and people are just like, oh, you have mental issues. We just start medicating you and bringing you places like that. As I grew up, you know, it's just fear after fear, fear, and my mom and dad sat me down at 15 years old and said, we're going to get a divorce, but we're going to live in the same house. But when you're 18 and an adult, we're, we'll make it happen. We're going to just divorce, but we'll stay together for you. So at 15 years old, they live in separate rooms on either side of the house. And for me, that was three years to keep them together. I got another three years to try and do this. So the pressure of that is they invited other people into their rooms and just all of that. And I really backslid in those moments because I met Jesus today and I was baptized with my father. But, you know, you start to see that and think this thing isn't really real. And so by the time I was 19, I was really had turned away from the Lord and partying and all the things you can only imagine. But I was at a friend's house and I woke up in the middle of the night and thought I was dying. And I woke up the mom and through a series of events, we started going to the hospital and we would go to the hospital every single day for seven days thinking I was going to die and they would put everything on me and all the heart monitors and all the stuff until finally the doctor looked at my mom and said, you're at the wrong hospital. And so I began to go to mental hospitals and was labeled agoraphobic, schizophrenic, all of the things till I was so immersed in fear and mental disability, what I would call it, that I was in my room. And didn't leave it for six months. Mm. Just didn't even leave my room. And back then you don't have cell phones. There's no form of communication other than your landline. Things were so different back then. There was no information. I couldn't Google my symptoms. I couldn't figure it out. And nobody knew what to do at the time. Anxiety wasn't a big word. I mean, none of my friends knew what that meant. So all my friends left me. I lost all my job. I was a dancer at the time. And everything shut down until you're in a room isolated. And some things came out in those moments that I had been drugged. All these things started happening. But the thing about the Lord is He will use our darkest places and meet us there. And He'll use the most profound things to call us unto Him. And I had known Jesus when I was saved at eight years old. I would go on the playground and literally go by myself and make stick figures to tell the gospel to my friends while they're all sliding down things. I would call them all over and do a gospel presentation with leaves and figs. I mean, I was in love with Jesus. But the enemy's strategy is never going to trump gods. But he he started working overtime. And I know a lot of people think, well, the enemy knew what you were going to do. And I'm like, you know, spirit can see spirit. But I just know that I think that you've been marked. And the enemy sees that. And so I think he just worked overtime for me to just go ahead and take my life since he didn't have control to take it. And when you're in your house for six months at a time, nobody knows what to do. I had developed an eating disorder in my room because I had been drugged. I would have my parents come in, taste my food, watch them for 30 minutes to see if they were going to die. And then I would eventually eat. I mean, like crazy mental things. But The Lord visited me and it was one night when I tried to take my life and put all the pills out and I knew how many I was going to take. And he visited me in that moment and literally audibly called my name and said, if you give me my life, everything will change from this moment and I will use you in ways that you would never understand. And yeah, I didn't even understand his lingo back then. You know, we can understand that now as Christians, but he was speaking this language I didn't really even understand. Like, what do you mean I'm going to make an impact? Like, I don't even want to live anymore. And through a series of visitations with the Lord and me partnering with him, I think that's where people think they're going to get this magical deliverance. You know, and he can do that. He can do it in an instant. But I think when the Lord, he wants to root things out of us and make a change, we have to reach our hand out and partner with him. And so I began to partner with him, which looked like, leave your room. And I would just walk out to the kitchen and have a panic attack, faint, vomit, and then get dragged back into my room. Like it, It took a series of, then you go outside, then you get in your car. Then you have your mom drive you around the neighborhood. I mean, this was months and months of partnering with him to say, you know what? No one's going to make this decision for me. I have to make it with him. And slowly but surely, I came out of my house. I began to drive again. I began to work again. I began to fly on planes again. I began to live my life again, but it was through a series of small yeses and partnering and developing revelation with him of who I was and what he was about to do and who he was through that, that I did have an incredible deliverance. I got off all my medication. And from that, here the story goes. I mean, you give your life, you say yes. I say, you say yes, he does the rest. Well, he does the rest because he's the author and finisher, but we also have to be a part of the story and partner with him in that. Mm -hmm. And let the chapters unfold. And God has done a work in my life. And I think there's times where I think people think, you know, you go through this radical deliverance and you're never tempted again to fall back into fear. You're never tempted again to, have you had a panic attack again? Michelle, there's been times in my life where those things have begun to happen, but now I know how to fight. Now I know the weapons of warfare in my life, and I understand who I am. So that was a mouthful, but that was really a part of my past into developing into what God's been doing today.
0: How old were you when this deliverance started to happen, when you got out of the room?
1: I was about 19 years old. It was bridging in from 19 to 20 that that all came about.
0: So as you continue to take these steps of faith, literally for you to do these small things, what happened next?
1: The Lord accelerates things. And so it, even though it felt like a long journey, you know, you go through these, you start to partner with him. I started finding people. You know, I think that's the thing is we think that it's going to be a podcast or a song that changes us when it's a community and a church and, and and getting plugged into the house of God. I went to everything I could to learn more about who he was. I went to every class I could find to learn about how to not only know who he was, but how to share him with others. And so I spent much of my time after that diving head first into everything I knew that he would be at. <laughs> like any anywhere he was, anything. I mean, I read through the Bible. Um, I ended up moving away from home and moving to Orlando, Florida, because I felt like I needed to get away. And my parents did end up getting divorced. My dad developed Alzheimer's. And so I had to work through those things after just coming out of my room, just coming out to the world. My dad gets Alzheimer's, he goes into a nursing home. I and mean, there was so much that happened with that, that the Lord had my hand. But after that, I moved to Orlando and I was a professional dancer before that happened and wanted to still be a professional dancer, but I was like, that's a hobby. You know, we look at sports or, you know, these are our hobbies, but I was like diving in on fire for Jesus. And through a series of events, I remember going to this competition to support some of my students and I had this incredible encounter with God in this super secular environment where he was like, you see those kids up there, you see what they're doing. I'm going to use this as a vehicle for them to know who I am. And no longer are you going to use this as a hobby. This is a form of your life of worship. And that was totally foreign back then. I mean, there was nowhere I could go to find out how to do dance and Jesus. I mean, you just didn't do those things together. The church was not
0: open to dance. What year was that?
1: I was about 21. So we got to go back to the 90s. <laughs> I think we're like 94. I was like, what, what are we doing? What does a Christian artist look like? There was no like, Googling like what that looked like. And so I began to start visiting with my pastor and going, I feel like I want to do a dance ministry. And he was, when I was at a Baptist church at the time, he was like, a dance ministry? He's like, you can do some classes. And so he let me use this room to start doing these classes. And then I came to him and I'm like, hey, can we dance on a Sunday? He's like, you can, but it can only be from the waist up. Like, literally, he said that to me. (laughs) I was like, great, I'll take on the challenge. And I remember... We used this Michael W. Smith song, and I had these candles that, you you know, these battery-operated candles that 27 kids show up for these classes. And we danced, and we turned all the lights down in the church, and we did this beautiful candle-lit upper body movement to where everybody was bawling in the room. And then the pastor came to me and said, I'll let you do it again, but you can move your whole body. <laughs> and like we, I started developing, like, what does this look like? And scripturally, and going to worship encounters that I would just have in my room with the Lord with dance, and then I started you know, you get yourself out there, you start finding people doing this. You know, it was very few. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I started meeting with people of like, this is worship. This is when we read scripture, the movement of heaven. If you don't like movement, you don't want to go to heaven. I mean, there's <laughs> lightning crashes and movement and we're surrounding and moving around the throne. So I just developed with him, oh my goodness, this is no longer hobby. This is lifestyle. And Then everything changed from there for me because I was working in very secular environments, but I was still loving Jesus and going to church. But he started teaching me about how my body was a living temple, not only with what we do with it, but with my movement. And it just changed everything from there to develop the things that I'm doing now.
0: What was the shift that occurred that made you believe, okay, this is my full-time thing. I'm called to do this.
1: I was still working
0: a lot
1: in in dance. I was still doing shows. I was teaching all these things. But the Lord actually came to me one morning and said, I want you to lay it all down. And I'm thinking, wait, you've just developed me into understanding this. You want me to lay it all down? And I remember having to go to my studio owner who was actually getting ready to give me a whole studio. She had four studios. She was about to give me a studio. You know, all these amazing things were happening. And then there's the Lord. He's like, lay it down. And you're like, lay it down. Because it became identity to me too. Like, oh, I'm a I'm a professional dancer and all these things. So I remember laying it down. The Lord said sit in my presence. And so I fulfilled all my commitments, my contracts. And I just sat in his presence. and I mean, I remember being in his presence four and five hours at a time. I didn't have kids. I didn't have a job. And just wanting him more than anything. I think now we are about this whole entrepreneurship and Christianity and living our dreams. And he really taught me, I I have a dream. And when you have the ability to live my dream through you, you will be fulfilled in a way that your dream could never do. There was nothing in me that wanted to be big or that wanted to have something that had audiences. It was just, I just want to be with you and whatever it takes to have me be fully engaged with you and fully in love with you and then share it to others. That's all I wanted to do. And so those days would just be spent with me falling more deeply in love with Jesus. The Bible talks about that. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then it doesn't say we're going to do all these amazing things and then you're going to seek him. It's like we seek him first. So I just sat in his presence not knowing what was next, but I knew inside of me I want to make an impact. He puts that in you. But I think we somehow turn it to be about us and we be famous for Jesus when it's like, no, we make him famous and we humble ourselves. There's no room for pride. And so just being in his presence and really being humbled by that and just financially being humbled too. We were newly married when all this happened, but I just feel like the, whole, the story would be too long to tell on here, but I went to a service and God just really downloaded to me through giving a pair of diamond earrings that I, I had on my ears in this service once that I didn't even know how to give. I wasn't even sure how to give. But the one thing I will say, if anybody wants to do anything incredible for Jesus, he's always going to ask for us to give. And it's not just always financial. It's what are, you, what are we willing to give up for him? And that's what he did with Jesus. He gave him. And I believe that's a principle. And I remember giving these diamond earrings in the service because I was just weeping like, God, whatever it is, I just want to do anything you want me to do. And It was this incredible service that I was at, but I remember waking up in the middle of the night. It was like four o'clock in the morning and the Lord said, grab a pen and paper. And literally within a two and a half hour period, downloaded to me this most incredible vision. I didn't know how it was going to happen or how we were going to do it or who I, I didn't know anybody to help me with it, but it was entitled Dance Revolution. And from there, I remember waking up my husband the next morning, I'm like, God gave me a vision. He gave me a dream. I mean, I, I feel like I saw the whole thing, even to where we are now. I mean, I saw these crowds of people, these ballrooms filled. It was just crazy. But, you know, you start at zero. And I just remember sitting there with like no ability to do anything. I was like, I don't know how to do any of this. This is actually, actually asking me to travel. This is asking me to rent out massive ballrooms. This is asking me to find Christian artists. I'm the only one I knew at the time, besides maybe two or three more people. And that was the shift for me was, am I going to say yes to this? With absolutely no experience, no money, no connections, no anything.
0: So let me pause there. You know, you've mentioned multiple times the Lord told you, showed you. How do you receive His impressions and His guidance? Is that just a, a heart sense, a mind? What does that look like for you?
1: I think that for me, I see. And I have heard some teachings before about impressions or hearing or seeing. I'm, I'm definitely a seer. And through this seeing, there is an impression that happens. So my kids have asked me this You know, and I think it's just kind of like with you, even with Cindy, as you're married, there's just this relationship that comes into play that sometimes you don't even have to see anything, you know, Mm. and you know, there's a feeling that comes with that. There's a look that comes with that. And with the Lord, it's a vision for me. Like there's visuals. They come in like a movie. I feel like I get taken back a little bit and I see it from a different perspective. I see it from a higher perspective, looking with him. And then there's impression that happens with that. And that impression is almost on my spirit. It's a heaviness. It's a weightiness. It's almost like his hand or a stamp goes on it, like, this is me. And I had to learn what that was because I'm a feeler. And when you're anxiety-filled or fear-filled, you go off your feelings all the time. So I had to break my flesh in my feelings because I think feelings can be real, but we don't live off of our human emotion and understand what it was, what it would have felt like to have a supernatural encounter and impression from the Lord. It's a different feeling. It weighs out your flesh and goes by your spirit.
0: And then obviously you felt that directive when you had those pictures, right? Yes. And so you're like, I don't know how to do any of this. I mean, you've got skill as a dancer, obviously, but how are you going to fill ballrooms? How are you going to make this happen? So what did you do?
1: (laughs) Well, and part of my testimony is my last four years of high school, I don't remember. I really always tell people I think angels went in and put a grade on my little (laughs) file because I was so living a terrible lifestyle that I'm like, I wasn't having any skill. I wasn't learning anything. So here he's wanting me to do this. I've got the dance set, but then this is like a skill set. This is like you've got a lead. This is financial. This is, praise God he gave me a husband that did have a degree. This is an... (laughs) you know, but he was a professional golfer at the time. And here I came to him with this, like, hey, I've got this vision. And, you know, he was like, go for it. But he was working full time. And so I really just started studying. It was like the Lord will take and he'll give you a Holy Spirit teaching. He'll give you a straight sense, you know, about you. But then the partnership comes with what are you willing to do? If I'm going to give you this, I'm going to give you the ability, but we've got to partner with this. So I started reading every leadership book possible. I started looking into what it takes to run out a ballroom. And, you know, I I did a lot of things wrong at the beginning and because I, what I didn't realize about God is he'll give you the big picture, but it takes a process to get there. So I've seen these thousands of people in my head. So I'm like, we're going to get 250 rooms a night at these hotels and we're going to order 10,000 binders to pass up the le- leadership. But it took me 12 years to get through those binders. You know, it was like, <laughs> you see these amazing pictures and you're like, oh, this is it. Not realizing again, like a child, you have to learn a part of the process because if you, he gave me this. 10,000 people at first, I would have broken in the process because I wasn't ready to do and learn and be equipped. So I just started equipping myself. And again, that's getting in the presence of God. That's reading books. That was getting in environments and putting myself in very uncomfortable places to watch and learn and then just doing it. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people do that for 10 years. We go to every conference possible. We read every book, but we never do anything with it. So I just started doing when I felt a directive, I just went on it, and he would ask me to do things. I'm like, "There's absolutely no money in our account." Well, my dad had passed away in those years before, and all of a sudden, money would come in from his inheritance. I mean, just forty-two thousand dollars came in the mail one day. I mean, like something that we didn't even know about was law. Like we, there was such a fight for him with my um, sisters, they were my half sisters when he had passed, and didn't even know anything like that was out there. You say yes to him, you start booking these ballrooms. They want a deposit. Forty-two thousand dollar check comes in. I mean, I, I never even seen a check with that many zeros on it. But I think those small yeses and acts of obedience is where he will meet us. But most of us are too afraid to do the yes because we don't see the check. We don't see the the alignment. But that's what faith is.
0: Exactly. I want to seize on that just for a minute is the small yeses. The word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's a lamp unto our what? Our feet. Feet.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. It's not full blown sunshine and you can no. see miles into the horizon. In my experience, speaking with people like yourself, Michelle, and all the other guests that I've been blessed to have on this podcast, it is literally one step at a time. That's obedience. That's faith.
1: Absolutely. And then you take the step and it's still dark. You're like, wait, we're here, but you gotta wait for the next.
0: That's really the way that God has Moved you in your life, isn't it? One step at a time. Yes, yes, yes.
1: Absolutely. When I look at my life, I will say that's the one thing I look at, and I'm like, there's just been no hesitation. And I think that has been bold. Now, there's other things in my life, you know, that I might be like, oh my gosh, I got to not hesitate on that. Like, actually work out today, Michelle. But other (laughs) things that, you know, that has been when I just feel that and I see it, I feel it. And God is really big with me with signs. And most people have been like, oh, you don't need to ask for a sign. I'm like, He did that throughout. I mean, for Jesus is coming, He, he was about signs. He brought some angels in. We got a star. We're going to follow some things. And I have a relationship with God, too, where I love his sweet surprises. He'll use a bird. He's used a peacock. He'll use crazy things because I'm like, I don't want to do this wrong. And I feel my flesh in some of this. Yeah. And when I go to take a step, I mean, it's not like I'm always asking for a sign because I know that, too. I'm, I'm just wanting to hear his voice. But he's really sweet. When you have that intimacy with him, he does it. And he's done the craziest things for me that when I'm really like, God, I don't want to make a wrong moosh. because I know most people are like that. You know, they just don't want to make a wrong moosh. And he'll do these really sweet surprises and very obvious things that I, but I think most people would miss it because they'll ask that. But then when a peacock comes to my doorstep and knocks on my door with its beak, <laughs> most people would not look at that as some God phenomenon. And then he just keeps showing up. And literally in my quiet time, he does these fun things, too. That's just a fun adventure with him. And I'm not saying everybody's going to have a peacock show up on their door, but you've got to always be super aware kingdom-wise. He might do a small thing, but we miss it because we're so busy looking to the next that we haven't looked to the yes for today. And the amazing things he'll put right in front of us, that's a big sign that he's like, here you go, Michelle. And a lot of us just miss that.
0: You mentioned earlier, seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew six thirty-three. And it's not just seek first the kingdom of God in your quiet time. Right. Otherwise, you may miss and probably will miss. Absolutely. So we fast forward now. How many years have you been in this dance industry?
1: Well, dance industry, I started when I was four. So that's a fossil, a a long time. Dance Rev, (laughs) a fossil. Dance Rev is going on, I think we're at 24 years. Each ministry that we started is not at 24 years, but Dance Rev is our longest running one for 24 years that we've been doing on the road.
0: And that stands for Dance Revolution. Okay. What happens at Dance Revolution?
1: Dance Revolution is a two and a half day encounter. And we have our vehicles performing arts. So we have gone for dancers basically all over this country. And it's two and a half days. This last one sold out and you got 1800 people that have walked into a room in Dallas that we are giving them dance classes. There's four different levels, different locations have different set of levels that they're getting to partner with learning dance, every style, but Nuggets. In between of who they are, what God is doing for them, we'll stop and even have prophetic moments in these dance crosses. But really, the whole weekend is geared to see people saved, set free, baptized, delivered, and we're using a dance convention to do that. So it's just the way the Lord laid that thing out is just incredible to me. A Friday night is just more of an icebreaker night to get kids ready, and then when I say kids, I mean we're having adults. I mean it's just every age group. There's nobody left out of this thing. You've been there, yeah, and I know I encountered the Lord, and so. We do small nuggets through the weekend where our internship dances through these small illustrated sermons. I speak and we just go after it with purity and also to do a worship class to just even tell them what worship is. I mean, I think we've even, not to say God, it wrong, but I think a lot of us, if we're not in the right environments, think our Sunday morning is our worship and then we go about our day. And we're really there to teach this generation about their life is a form of worship from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed and not just when they dance, how they honor their friends, their parents, how they dress, what they listen to. And then Sunday morning, we take time to out to do church and we do a 30 minute production that I've written and just open up the altar for salvations, for prayer. And I'd never had seen anything like that. I mean, I didn't grow up with anything like that. And so it's been incredible to witness what God does on the road through what people would quote unquote call our little dance ministry. And I'm like, I'm okay with that because I'm like, sure, it's whatever you want to call it, but I see what's there as an encounter with Jesus. And he just uses the performing arts as a vehicle for that.
0: And then Dance Revolution, the Lord has used that to spawn other entities within that. What are those as well? Yeah.
1: So from that, we opened an internship that's going on its 18th year next year. And that was just watching so many kids come through the doors that are like, I want to do college, but I want to be evangelist. I want to know who Jesus is. And then others I want to just do evangelism, but there's not a place they want to go to dance because they didn't feel safe in that environment. So we started a nine-month program where they, I mean, it's power packed. They read through the Bible in nine months. They do quick reports. They learn how to publicly speak. They learn about who God is, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. I mean, we don't leave anything out, how to pray, how to fast, how to hear from God. But they're doing that with what they love to do, which is dance. They get to travel with Dance Rev. They get to write their own sermons. They You know, it's just this hands-on nine-month experience that we've seen hundreds of kids come through the doors and see their life radically change. But getting to use their gift, and some of them will be professional dancers after that. But some don't. Some learn, I'm going to be a missionary in Africa. I'm going to be a a word. Some are stay-at-home moms now, but they have developed the skills to be an incredible human and leave a legacy to their children. And so that's what Ingredients does. What else? And we have Epicenter for the Arts. We have a studio we opened. It had its 10-year anniversary, which I never thought I'd open a studio. And the Lord was like, you're going to open a studio.
0: Yeah, and that is where?
1: That's in South Lake, Texas. And we have, I think at this point, 450 families involved in that. And from there, we started a competition because the competition world is very unsafe for dancers. But we wanted dancers to feel safe in the environment and really hone in on their skill set. So we opened. That is going on its seventh year. And if you plant the tree, he'll get the branches going. And so I think that's what we did was we put seed in the ground and Lord grew a tree. From there, he's like, great, we've got it stable. We've got roots in the ground. And now we're going to put branches out to even have more fruit for people to pick from. And Mm. that's how I I see what he does.
0: Let's pivot to the message that you feel is... Right on right now for your ingredients students as well as the others. And that's related to the word duped.
1: Yeah. You know, dupe is such a funny word to me. And my kids, when I started talking about this in this this summer, they're like, Mom, that's something on Instagram. That is like, you know, it's this funny thing, this funny meme going around. Or I don't even know what they're talking about because I don't have a TikTok. But it was like dupe for me has always been we love dupes. You know, we have expensive things and some of us are like, okay, I don't want to spend the money for that, so I'm gonna get a dupe, you know, whether it's a name brand or whatever. But more than anything in the last, gosh, it's been for me a good 15 years. But as we crunch down and time it feels like it's crunching and squeezing, I'm like, whoa, we have through technology, which I think is a massive blessing, and we can get the gospel anywhere and everywhere it feels like. And we can get our message out there and we can let people know what our family looks like now through social media. And this thing that I think could be a healthy thing has become, even for Christianity, something that if we're not careful, we're going off of what other people are saying or what other people are doing. And we're trying to, formulate things and go off of like these short little snippets of oh that's the gospel or and now we have our opinions that really matter when i'm like i don't know if our opinion so much matters it's his opinion that states the final word and so i'm watching where back in the day with christian music we had amy grant you remember this we had amy Mm -hmm. grant michael w smith and maybe stephen Curtis chapman and now you can find wait wait
0: leon patillo
1: Okay, <laughs> there's so many more. And we had to go buy the CD. And so we didn't have this plethora of incredible worship music and plethora of amazing podcasts, amazing YouTubes. But through that, we've got to be careful that there's so much messaging happening that we get to pick what messaging we like mm. by preference instead of by conviction. And I love this generation and I'm for it. That's why I do for a living is, is rally this generation. But even doing ingredients and seeing this generation, I'm like, whoa, what they're having to deal with and the messaging that's coming in and watching truth be watered down. And we have a narrow gate and a wide gate, but all of a sudden we've created this middle gate somehow. (laughs) And I'm watching this going, wait, the enemy is so sly. You know, that verse in the Bible that talks about in the very end times, you know, you got to be careful of false prophets and false teachings. And even my very elect will be deceived. Holy smokes, that, that verse is one that scares me or Jesus, Jesus, I cast out demons in your name and I did all this in your name. And he's like, get from me. I never knew you, which meant we didn't have relationship, but you went by some kind of formula or you watched something that you thought would work. Mm. But it's way more than that. It's costlier. That's why I think we're in this dupe Christianity stage where we're just going to do this thing that doesn't cost very much because we're just going to watch this and follow this and watch this person have these. Christian influencers, which, you know, I love them all, but I just think we can make a video and put it out there. We have a hundred thousand followers that makes us closer to Jesus where I'm like, our life is what's making us closer to Jesus, our surrender, our conviction. And we don't like that word anymore because that's a control thing. I just think that I'm going to go old school if I met Jesus in very profound ways. And I didn't have podcasts. to do, I had the word to sit and read for two and three hours at a time and had to Discern His voice and understand His voice above all others. And if we don't do that and get back to the truth and our first love and what His Word says, is understanding it from His perspective and learning that way instead of always looking to others to learn that, which I think books are good. Obviously, your podcast is amazing. We have these truth seekers, but if we're not careful, we're going to go off another gospel that's not truth. And when things come, push comes to shove, which is coming, we're just not going to know which way to go because we haven't been seeking truth, been going off a dupe. Something that looks real costs less. And that's where I'm at with this generation is I don't want everybody going into everything sizing it up because I already think we're doing that. We're judging everything. And, you know, everybody, I even feel like I'm more judged than ever. I mean, I've gotten more complaints about my message these last two years than I've ever gotten. And because it's like she's too bold, you know, I get she says too much. Well, it makes you uncomfortable and you don't want to be accountable to that. So now you're not comfortable with that because you have your own opinion now. And we've gone off of what feels good to us. And so that's really my messaging in my heart, and my life, is we've got hold know the truth. And if you really want to know what it is, just take the Bible for the next 90 days and let that be the only thing you listen to and, and read for once, you know, and then open, you know, back up and you'll see things in a different perspective. You will know truth. You won't be swayed by another voice and go off preference all the time. I just see a lot of preference Christianity, a lot of permission Christianity. I know that sounds hard, but that's really what I see. And we got to go by conviction. Paul wasn't super sweet. It was, it was a conviction he brought that separated the wheat from the chaff, the sheeps and the goats. That's where we're at right now. And people don't want to talk about that because it becomes uncomfortable.
0: You've got something that you started last year called Now or Never. And that was born out of, I suspect, part of that deep concern for the truth, right? Yes. Explain what that is and when the next event is, please.
1: You know, what we do, we're seeing incredible transformation. And so many people are like, why are you just doing this for dancers? Why are you just doing this for dancers? Why I'm only doing what I feel permission to do. But I really felt permission last year through a series of events and small yeses to open up what we do to, it's always open to the public as far as our Sunday mornings, but really open up our experience to humanity. Not saying it's just Gen Z or just adults or just dancers. It's just humanity. Because I feel like we're in a now or never season. I know that sounds like a strong word, but it's like, he, really? The Lord is like, are we doing this now? That's why I don't hesitate anymore. I'm like, just do it. And even now or never for me last year, we had it on May 20th. This year, it's on May 4th. And things that I thought I saw, you see these big things and you get there, you're like, oh Lord, you, you, there's a remnant here. We rented a whole stadium and the Lord was like, I want you to set a table for me for those that'll show up. And I was like, sure, sure, sure. And then I get there, I'm like, oh, it's just a few that showed up for the table. And I had to look at that, like, you know, this is a remnant season of those that are going to do what he says now, because there will be a time that it's going to be never. We didn't do it. And that is my messaging. And that's why I really felt that strong word. And that's the word I got. And we're taking a full day of immersive experience, taking the things we do at DR. It's not for dancers, but it's very visual. We're doing our newest production, The Boardroom. We do have speakers and the worship happening, but it's really more about immersing ourselves and really going and, and dedicating and going, I'm going to go Not off any kind of dupe thing. I'm going to do what he says now, Mm -hmm. not wait. And every time he says that, I'm going to do it now. But that takes knowing his voice and being intimate with him and having an encounter with him. So May 4th is an open event, and it's one day, 12 hours. I thought last year was incredible for our first. We feel like the Lord's going to ask us to start doing this annually, and it's open to all.
0: And where is it this year?
1: We actually, this year, are doing it at a
0: church. It's called Trinity Church. And this is Trinity Church in Dallas?
1: Yeah. You can see it as Dallas. If you go onto the map, it says Cedar Hill and that'll all be on our website. Our website's going to launch on February 1st. Again, tickets available and just more information about it. And it is smaller this year. So if people don't get their tickets, that I do think this year will go pretty fast. And we had so many seats last year available, but this this year will be limited seating.
0: What's the best web address for people to find out more about you and all the goodness that's going on?
1: Dance-revolution.com. And if you're like, I'm listening to this, I'm not a dancer. Well, Let's pray for this generation of performing artists because the visual where it's at. The eyes are the windows to the soul. And that's where we need this generation to really see that and move in those arenas that God's using the visual arts.
0: As we finish here, Masha, I'd love to have you pray for our listeners, please.
1: Yes, Jesus. Just even getting to talk again about what you've done in my life, Lord, is just just is unfathomable, I'm an awe and wonder. And so I just pray your awe and wonder over people's hearts, Lord, to really see and pull back that veil, if there's any in front of them, to see for who you are and the things that you are doing, you've already done. God, I thank you that you are moving on behalf of your people, Lord, and that whatever anybody's going through today, if anybody even has heard this and been like, I've been there, I'm there right now, Lord, you are with them. You are right with them, ready to partner with them to see change, to see your kingdom come through them. And through a series of small yeses, I just pray boldness over your people and courage. I pray courageousness to step out, even when it feels like there's nothing ahead of them, even if it feels like there's a cliff in front of them, that Lord, you are there to meet them and to see your kingdom come through them. I pray for people to get to know you today, Lord, that if they've never met you, that you become the realest thing right in front of their face and that they pray that you would be their savior, that their sins would be forgiven, and you would come and encounter them, and they would make you Lord of their life. Just knowing it's a simple prayer to say, God, I want you to be Lord of my life, and I want you to be Savior over my life, and forgive me of my sins, and that they want to dedicate their life to you, and that you're a medium in healing and deliverance, Lord. And he needs that need to be met today, God, that your presence would just be right where they're at, and that you would root out anything that is not of you, God. And I thank you for. Brian, Lord, I thank you that his words and his heart are going to stream through homes and stream through businesses and stream through the world to let people be illuminated to the truth of who you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Thank you so much, Michelle. So good to reconnect with you.
1: Just an honor today to get to talk about him and talk to you.
0: Hey, everyone, thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.